welcome to the podcast where together, every Monday, we explore hospitality in its very broader sense. From culture and cooking, cocktails and coffee, nutrition and farming, politics and animal welfare, organic and sustainability, family and business, entrepreneurship, and much, much more. Come and learn with me, Mark Cribb, about where our food and our drink comes from and the businesses and more importantly the human beings that thrive on where we decide to spend our time and our money. Sign up to our weekly newsletter at humansofhospitality.co.uk and hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice. I so loved my first research chat with Thomas Ghent that when the opportunity came up to record a podcast, I took the chance to travel across the country and to meet him face to face. I adore Thomas's idea and the knowledge he has gained as a fourth generational farmer in Cambridgeshire. In a nutshell, Thomas spent a bit of downtime in lockdown pondering how to solve a global problem. But he did that by looking out of his window in a very real, local and achievable way that could have almost instant and measurable results. As is all too often the case, it's the simple ideas that look like they have the greatest opportunity. And if any of you listening have seen the Kissing the Ground documentary on Netflix, then this is the deep dive podcast equivalent of one way to help with the challenge of what is happening to our soil. And if any of you have listened to my podcast with Guy Singh Watson from Riverford about organic farming, where we also touch on how many harvests are left in our soil, then this will be a great follow-on episode. And for any of you simply interested in offsetting your carbon in your business, Thomas is now providing a measurable British solution. A solution where you can potentially visit the farm that is saving the carbon and see what they are doing, why they are doing it, and the difference it is making. And not only will you be saving carbon, you will be helping that farmer on a transition from intensive to regenerative farming. Perhaps helping the farmer fall back in love with ecology and biology and being custodians of the land for a short but oh so important period of time. And if you're a restaurateur or work in hospitality in general, perhaps just asking questions and caring more and more about where your food is coming from and who is growing it is a great start point building momentum to support British farmers who really want to be part of a positive movement and solution. I am utterly confident that Thomas and his gentle farming business and carbon credits are going to do well. I'll be looking into buying some myself and offering support, and I hope you will too. Enjoy the conversation. Thomas Ghent, uh, regenerative farmer and founder of Gentle Farming. Uh, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. I say joining me, although it feels a bit like I'm joining you. Do you want to just explain to people listening, where are we in the world, Tom? <laughs> yeah, so we are on our family farm um, in South Lincolnshire. It's like Lincolnshire, Cambridgeshire border, um, just above Cambridge. Um, and yeah, you've, you've come on our farm. I have, yeah. So I'm <laughs> sat here. We've got a couple of dogs next to us. I feel very country, actually. I've driven, I, I will, as everyone will appreciate who listens regularly and anyone new will know, I'm going to ask lots of stupid town questions. So I feel very much like the town boy who's come out to the country, having just uh, driven for the last four or five hours to get here. But nice part of the world, isn't it? Flat, as they say. Yeah, and it's lots very of, um, flat. What do you call them? These irrigation kind of... Ch- I feel, I'm actually going on a canal boat holiday in about a week's time. <laughs> and uh, and I started to feel like, oh, is this what it's like? Because there's yeah. all these sort of irrigation channels everywhere. 
though, isn't it? Yeah, it's very, very flat around here, and it's well known for being it. But the skies are very beautiful at the sunset. That's the main thing. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm hoping that we, you're not being rude, but that we won't talk for quite that long. <laughs> um, but maybe I'll stay for the day. So you're a, a multi-generational uh, farmer, fourth generation, I believe. Um, can you just tell me a little bit uh, about the farm and, and what you grow and uh, yeah, how you ended up here, I guess? Yeah. So um, yeah. So I'm 23. I'm, I'm the fourth generation on our family farm. We've been farming regeneratively um for about 12 years and my granddad and my granddad and my dad made the transition when i was yeah i was about 11 ish um so yeah we grow combinable crops pretty much which is kind of all yeah all the crops you imagine like wheat oats oilseed rape barley linseed quinoa um a lot of grass a lot of kind of forage crops that go into um energy production as well so quite a broad range of things and that is one of the important things in regenerative farming really okay is, is combinable crops is that a key thing as well or what, what does that phrase mean yeah so yeah it kind of says what it means on the says what it means is anything that goes for a combine <laughs> oh, okay so we grow things that will go for a combine See, i was thinking of think it was things that grew well together because they combined well <laughs> got yeah yeah combine harvester combine harvester yeah uh, okay. things that will go for a combine and th- right. the important thing we do that, it basically means is anything that grows and we can harvest that is above the ground so the kind of the general terms are combinable crops or root crops. See, I told you I was going to ask lots of town <laughs> questions, didn't I? So it's good. I like I like that. It's just if it doesn't, if you can't get it through a combine harvest, we're not doing it. Basically, you don't want to be crawling around on your hands and knees picking crops. Is that yeah, what w- what, no, no. Really, the thing is, we don't want to be disturbing the soil. That's kind of where we're at. We okay. don't want to be pulling potatoes out, pulling carrots out of the ground, um, on our system, especially on, on this type of soil. That's really where it comes down to. Our type of soil is not good enough, really, for potatoes, carrots, that kind of thing. Okay. Can you be a regenerative farmer and pull out carrots and potatoes and all that kind of stuff somewhere else? Or is it is it is it hard to, to grow those kind of crops in a regenerative it, way? Yeah, well, it is. It's the soil disturbance is the issue. We can do, obviously, you know, looking after soil and environmental and all that kind of thing. The hard thing is getting the potato out of the ground without disturbing the soil when the potato is <laughs> in the ground. <laughs> yeah. But there's, there's a lot of research coming and they are finding ways to do it. Are they? Okay, well, I won't go down that rabbit hole quite yet. I'll lose, <laughs> I'll, I'll lose too many people. Um, so, so the stuff you grow, this is you, you're not turning anything into final product. What, what does it? Where does it go to? You're selling it into the into the supermarkets or to be turned into grain? What what happens to it? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, we we really sell on the on the open market. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of kind of grain buying organisations, um, and we kind of. Yeah, buy and sell in different ways, kind of as the commodity market is. You know, you can pre-sell, you can forward sell, that kind of thing, or you can or you can take the price of the market. Um, yeah, like you say, all of our pretty much all of our product has to be gone through a process. Um, there's a few exceptions. The quinoa um, is sold to the British Quinoa Company, which they obviously use it, and then the the energy production goes to a local anaerobic digestion plant, which produce green energy out of it. So that's kind of a direct direct to process kind of. Yeah. product um but yeah like wheat oats barley they need to be processed right. in some form and if you're going straight onto the commodities market is this is this the same commodities market as something that's not grown regeneratively do you get a premium for it or is it not so this is yeah this is really where i started to look at this is this is really what annoyed me i guess um <laughs> i i yeah i took a load of our commodity i think it was wheat um in into one of our buyers um and it's kind of a massive uh, you, you know you probably can't imagine but 100,000 ton grain store um yep. we t- tipped tipped in the shed um and kind of as I was coming out I passed one of our neighboring farmers who farms in a different way to us um not regenerative 
um, and you know he was tipping on the same heap and like to be honest it just really annoyed me and I thought like my product is so different no other business in the world would accept you know being sold in the same way I need to find a way to change that <laughs> yeah and and when you say it's different this is different we'll come into what regenerative farming in but but so although the it's different from how you look after the land is the is the end result different as well is it going to be a more nutritious you know better for you product that really therefore should attract a premium yeah so um, there's still a lot of research in that area, but it is seen that the healthier the soil, the healthier the product and the produce that comes off it. So, yeah, we would grow healthy, like more nutrient dense food um, because our soils are healthier. Um, but quantifying that is is a challenge. OK. And, and currently, unless you turn it into a, an end product, there isn't a market for, you know, premium com- commodity product, basically. No, no, we are just commodity yeah right. there's no there's no market That's there needs to be one so your motivation then for being uh regenerative or not yours so much you know granddad's and your dad's uh yeah wasn't wasn't a financial thing from a sale perspective what what what, you know, what is regenerative farming and what made them make the decision to farm that way yeah so um if we go back kind of yeah before before we did regenerative um we was farming very much the same as everybody else you can imagine and everybody else you probably drive past in the countryside um you know we can all think of a farmer with a really big plow and a really big tractor and they turn the soil over and you know you leave it fallow over the winter when you plant your crop in the spring and um you know or you might plant your crop in the winter um and then you've got to spread you know a lot of chemicals a lot of fertilizers to be able to get that 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 plant to grow because it's you know because the soil is so damaged and so lost in biology um so basically what what was happening kind of 11 years ago is yeah dad and granddad were having to buy bigger and bigger tractors um and getting less and less results um and it just everything was going the wrong direction um and we was at the point where our machinery was pretty old and we needed to invest um and we was either going to have to invest and buy bigger tractors which was yeah quite an eye-watering sum of money or um yeah there was this new thing that was called regenerative farming that not many people had tried and granddad and dad kind of yeah was very crazy i suppose at the time and thought like let's just go for it sold every big machinery we had bought a drill which is necessary for regenerative and and that was it we was doing it whether people liked it or not um um quite a few of our neighboring farmers think we're crazy still think we're crazy um but yeah they they was committed and that was that was the end of the story really but yeah so since then we've you know we, we st- i wouldn't say we're, we're regenerative yet like we're still on the journey you know i don't think you ever achieve it it's just a like it's a process and yeah, 12 years on, we still don't have all the answers. Yeah, so the, so the actual, what does it mean? How do you define regenerative then? Is is there a definition, I suppose, for what qualifies? Yeah, so no is a short answer. Um, it's a super hard question because it just depends massively like on each farm situation. So what works here might not work somewhere else, but it doesn't mean they're doing the wrong thing. But there's kind of a few key principles which, which we would say we all follow. Um, the first one is minimum soil disturbance. Um, so we... We basically just want to do as little to the soil as we possibly can. It needs to be left in the state it's in. Um, and that is to allow all the fungus, all the bugs, all the biology to survive. Um, because, it, you know, if we disturb that soil, you know, we're, we're breaking down their house, essentially. Um, and and they, they can't live. So, you know, if we can leave that soil untouched, we can leave the root matter in place and they, they survive. The second kind of point is maximum soil cover. So... If you think about in nature, nature never allows bare soil, you know, a weed, a singer nettle, whatever it is, or will grow um, wherever it is. Um, So that, you know, it is unnatural to see bare soil. um, And that's been a very traditional thing of agriculture. 
which is really needs to change. So yeah, there's lots of kind of ways to do that. But the point is just keep something growing in the soil as much as possible because, you know, we are in the business of harvesting sunlight. And if we haven't got a plant there, then we're not harvesting anything. Um, yeah, then the next point, the next, the last point really um, is kind of, yeah, all the other stuff. Use as little fertilizers as possible. Add as much natural organic materials, manures, poultry manures, horse manures, whatever, um, to, tr- to try and build that soil biology back up. Okay. How how does this fit in with the organic accreditation? Do they complement each other at all or are they completely separate? Yeah, or? so it's it's an interesting one. So we both we were both like on the same lines of we are using um like we want to look after our soils. So obviously organic, you know, doesn't use any sort of chemicals. Regenerative would still use chemicals um because we believe like you know, organic has lower yields and the cost premium prohibits it from some people. Um, but we can produce n- really high nutritiously dense food in an environmentally friendly way at, you know, market prices. Um, and yeah, that's the kind of important bit. And But, you know, having said that, on a regenerative farm with our soil biology, we use absolutely as minimum as chemical as absolutely possible. We use a huge amount of biology and, you know, the chemical we do use is, is, is a lot of the chemical we do use is organic approved chemicals. Um, so, yeah, basically... We, we do use chemicals but we're, we're yeah it, it's as little as we p- can possibly do essentially yeah. okay and you're right so so to <coughs> get organic accreditation then you can get a premium but not 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 with the sort of stuff you're growing i suppose the problem again, the that. problem the problem we find with organic is to control the weeds because you haven't got chemicals you must disturb the soil which usually means plow or do some sort of you know soil disturbance to, to, to destroy the weeds to be able to grow your crop of wheat or whatever um, but obviously, we we want to put carbon in the soil. We want to put organic matter in the soil. And as soon as you disturb that soil, you release the carbon. So there is a bit of a conflict there that people get the very hype that organic is a, such a good thing and really good for the environment. It is, but it is releasing carbon when you're plowing. And it's not the answer. The holy grail is organic, no t- like no soil disturbance. Right. Nobody's got there yet. But we've got some people working on it. <laughs> it's interesting. I just, I just, you know, I go on these journeys, yeah. and I, 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 sim- I end up sympathising with the average consumer. You know, I always, I always give this analogy that, you know, if I get on a plane, I expect the pilot to know about how to fly the plane, and as the customer sat out the back, you know, I don't really need to know much about it. And as a restaurateur, I feel that my job is to understand, you know, where food comes from and where drink comes from, and re- and really what the environmental impacts are. Um, because yeah, your average person just just can't go that far enough down that rabbit hole, I suppose, to go yeah, do I buy organic? And now not only should, you know yeah, is that the answer or is it regenerative and all this kind of stuff? Yeah, you mentioned about bare soil and not not leaving soil bare. Is that because you know we see these issues around soil, I suppose, you know, being washed into rivers and all that kind of stuff, or is this about the carbon capture element? I suppose that we're going to get onto. Or is it is the what's the what's the biggest reason for not leaving soil bare? I suppose. Yeah, it's a combination of all of those things. Um, basically it w- the really the point is w- we yeah like i said we are in the business of you know using photosynthesis to improve the soil or produce a product or basically to grow biomass right and as if we've you know it's like a factory shutting down half the year if you've not got a plant growing growing there you know we want something growing there because we're still going to be in production in some form um we grow a lot of things called cover crops here which are they are plants that grow over winter um, that we don't harvest. They just degrade back into the soil and essentially add um, carbon and organic matter back into the soil. 
Um, and that means that the following crop, we don't have to spread as much um, artificial fertilizers and chemicals. So um, we use that plant to, to, to make the next plant better. So we, ca we need that plant there and it's an important part of our rotation. So why doesn't your traditional, I mean, not traditional, intensive farmer do that anyway? Because that feels like a bit of a win-win. The, the soil sat there empty in the winter. Why would they not put, is it because it's eating the, 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 the fertiliser they're putting on the land and wasting it, is it? Or? Yeah, so there's a lot of misconceptions. Like, yeah, a lot of people think it's like damaging and doing the wrong thing. And there, there is the thing of farmers like their fields to look tidy. Um, <laughs> right. and, it, and it, you know, are some, you know, it, like we grow, we can see some out the window, actually some herbal lay, which is, it's a massive mix of clovers and it's amazing for the soil. It looks weedy. Right. It's not, but it looks weedy and not, farmers don't like that yeah. like perspective when they're driving past it. That's kind of that's a that is a big factor, which is a bit, you know. <laughs> I feels like that feels crazy. Like it's all like you know, yeah. imagine vacuuming your field kind of yeah. thing, isn't it? It's just uh <laughs> it's just nature. So okay, so you so you've been doing this uh twelve years here. What differences have you noticed then, you know, between now and, and then, I suppose, from a yeah. you know, how how the land reacts, what it either what it looks like or how the soil is, what's different? Yeah, massively. So like we can go and have a look at it in a minute, but yeah, if you go and if you if you dig a dig a hole, um you can you break open the soil and you can just see the roots and the worms and the bugs and the insects do doing stuff, being alive, creating soil biology, creating fungus, you know, eating all the bad insects that it might, might eat my crop and just making, just making life essentially. Um, you know, and you can dig up a, a field that's been plowed. Um, yeah, anybody can go and do it. And it, and it, it, it's, it's, just dead that's the best way to describe it you won't be able to find much in it there's not many worms it's just like a lump of mud okay. have you got both within walking distance of here or uh yeah it? we probably do yeah, yeah yeah okay well we'll definitely look at yours <laughs> uh we'll, we'll get out there and dig a hole jasper's heard about it he's gone off he's already my dog he's literally just taking himself for a walk <laughs> he heard the word herbal lay and that was it he's gone <laughs> off he's gone off to eat some um so so there, there clearly must be you know you, you talk of this exceptionally positively and, and very passionate but the, but like you said local farmers think you're crazy there must be some key downsides is there what what are the downsides that other people at least perceive and are they genuine the, so the tricky the pe the bit that people perceive which is genuine is is in the transition phase so once you s go from a conventional system into a regenerative system there's usually it depends on your soil type but let's say kind of a three-year in between when you can't use soil when you can't use soil biology because it hasn't built up yet and it takes, you know, it takes a few years for the, for your soil to come back alive. Um, but also you can't use the kind of conventional soil disturbance methods to, to, to mitigate that. So there is this kind of in between bit when your crops generally do suffer. Um, and that's kind of where we hope carbon payments can come in to, to be able to support farmers to kind of get over that gap and encourage them to actually kind of make the difference, I guess. Amazing. All right. Well, we'll come to the uh, to the carbon yeah. side of it. Um, <laughs> is there a place for, you know, where do, where do animals and farming animals fit into regenerative farming? I hear sort of conflicting stuff, I suppose, around, you know, obviously, you, you know, a huge growth in, in, in the plant and sort of vegan movement and stuff like that. And, you know, we shouldn't be eating animals. And then you get farmers who say, you know what, it's really good for the soil to have the cows out there and, you know, their, their, their footprints or whatever, you know, churning it up and then they're adding organic matter. Where does it fit into the to the movement? Yeah, absolutely. Like it's a very important part. So we are we 
you know, around here, this area is very traditional, um, purely arable crop production. Um, and that's kind of how farming industry has gone. We've gone in sign of areas of the country specialise in dairy or beef or sheep or around here it's arable. Um, and that is a massive shame because, you know, that is not how nature intends life to be. You know, it tends it to be diverse and mixed. Um, so we need to move much more back towards uh, mixed farming systems where you have animals and you have um, you know, cropland in the same system. Um, and that's kind of where regenerative and cover cropping and all those things come in place. So um, a lot. So we actually we actually graze some of our um, crops over winter. Um, we graze a lot of our cover crops over winter um, with sheep to yeah to do all those things. Add organic matter, push all the hooves in the ground. Um, churn, you know, do do all that good stuff. Um, we, yeah, we've got some. We're trying some kind of horse livery to try to get more more organic material on the land. So animals are massively important. Um, it's just integrating them in the right way is tricky in areas that have traditionally not had animals okay why because of how you i suppose feed them and where you put them and all that kind of stuff is it? yeah it's, it's the just infrastructure, the in- yeah it? exactly yeah. it's the infrastructure and knowledge like there's not you know you go to the kind of the west of the country there's you know everybody knows how to do sheep and everybody's got sheep but the, around here you know we kind of there's one person that's got some sheep you know like <laughs> it's a lot harder everyone to look do. at him like he's nuts as well yeah but <laughs> what it does need to happen is we just need to get more mix. You know, those, those sheep need to come over this side and some crops need to be grown over that side and it, yeah. we just need to become a much more diverse everywhere. I'm having flashbacks to when I was interviewing a beekeeper and he was uh, the grass under the orchard, I think. Yeah, he let, let the sheep in from the neighbouring yeah. farm to eat the grass under the trees and yeah, yeah and then the, the, the orchard, you know, attracts the bees so he's making honey and, and uh, crops. And yeah, it just yeah, feels like we need to... I suppose it's getting away from that that monoculture thing. Exactly. So the, the, the key thing then, the, there's a couple of things. We're going to come into the, the carbon side, but if you just look at... I suppose the other issues around uh, overuse of food fertilizers, overuse of chemicals. What what's the big what's the big picture of what's going on with our arable crops? You know, what's what's the damage that's happening? What's the environment in, environmental impact? You know, why why is this important? I suppose apart from just the carbon side. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, regenerative um, is much more than carbon. Um, water quality, biodiversity, uh, yeah, massively improved. Um, it, it's tricky because basically what's happened in kind of the wider industry is we you know we've been asked to compete on a global market a global commodity market um with countries like russia australia america where they have you know huge farms you can't you know sizes of whole countries um and they can just produce wheat and you know crops that in a scale and at a price that we can't even conceive um and we've been asked to compete with that um which means we've had to do whatever we can to try and improve our yields um, and to keep pushing the yields up and then we've also been sold by you know big chemical companies you know great great products that improve our yields and keep pushing it up but you know in, in the recent decades we've come to a point where all of that growth in yields has, has just plateaued um, and you know we spend more and you know farmers spend more and more money on chemicals and you know products that you know are, are sold to improve what we're doing um, and they just don't have the impact that they used to um and, you know, the more and more awareness in the industry and, you know, wider sector for environmental good um, just means we need to look at things in a different way. Um, and we need to start, you know, not focusing everything on yields and think about kind of the wider impact and the resilience of our businesses to climate change and that kind of thing. So what will happen if we don't make this change? 
well, the UN estimates like there's only 60 harvests left in the world if we if we keep farming conventionally, which is a pretty crazy four. You know, we might run out of food in 60 years. That's not very long in, you know, in people's lifetimes. I'll I might be still right, be there. Yeah, you're knackered, <laughs> Thomas. <Yeah. laughs> but, you know, like it is a serious thing. And, you know, soil degradation globally, like, yeah, like people will go hungry um, if we don't kind of sort out the soil situation. Um, because it is it is the it is the ecosystem that supports pretty much everything that we know every all life you know if you know even even the petrol in your car it was once a kind of an animal that you know grew or ate something that came from the soil so everything comes from soil um and it's just been abused and neglected for so many years it needs to be kind of come back to the holy grail it is i guess and looked after in the right way mm. so we're just using it as literally a, a carrier so where, whereas once it was full of nutrition in its own sort of regard i suppose and that could feed the plants combined with the sun obviously now we just use it as a carrier predominantly for artificial chemicals and fertilizers exactly. where, where where do we get these what are these artificial fertilizers made of <laughs> that's a good question so we've exactly it's a it's a very good point and what I, what we normally say to people is um in in a in a kind of degraded soil system if you know when your soil's dead you are just running a hydroponic system where everything that that plant needs to keep alive you're manually adding and manually having to do which you know costs money takes time affects the environment all those kind of bad things so that so what so what we do is like, why can't we just use, you know, there's loads of nitrogen in the air. There's loads of, like, good chemicals and minerals in the ground. Let's kind of get that biology to work, to release it in a form that the plant can take up. And then I don't have to sit on my tractor all day. Um, and, we, and we've got more, you know, the, you know, the water quality that comes off our farm improve, the biodiversity and all that kind of thing. Um, yeah, fertilizer, fertilizer production, um, artificial fertilizer production is, a, is kind of one of the largest kind of impacts um in terms of kind of emissions in agriculture um it is tricky because you know if people want crops um if they, people want food at, at a cheap price you know we need to use artificial fertilizer to be able to produce that um we, we've massively reduced our artificial fertilizer um but we still have to use a bit to to compete essentially yeah okay interesting so I suppose, you know, it, 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 if you're aware of this and, and there's lots more evidence now and you're part of this movement, why it, it still feels like pretty slow <laughs> progress? Like there's not many yous or your dad yeah. and your granddad. Well, you know, farmers aren't, they're not evil, right? So they're <laughs> not sort of out there going, oh, let's screw up the planet. No. Why is it Why is it taking so long? Is this, is this sort of willful neglect? Is it ignorance? Is it an education piece? What's the reason why we can't get a bit more so, momentum? So there's, yeah, there's definitely a lot of farmers and it really massively... I've seen so much crazy uptake in the last, say, even three, two, three years in, of interest from farmers. Um, but, you know, farmers are starting to start to change. The, the issue, I guess, with agriculture is it is a very slow industry and that's not anybody's fault. That's just because, you know, it takes a year to grow a crop. So, you know, w one change you make takes a year and then it takes a couple of years to be a, to, to make any effect. Um, but, yeah, the 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 movement is growing massively and it, and it will continue to grow um especially as kind of the government starts to fund more environmental stuff on farms um it, i i think it from what i understand it is kind of a it's the older generation thing of like the older generation is like this is how we've always done it it's always worked in the past 
we'll just carry on doing it like that. And, you know, the younger generation like me are sort of starting to come along and say, like, are you sure this is right? Like, maybe we can do this in a better way um, and think think of new ideas, I guess. Okay. So you thinking of new ideas was a perfect segue because so you've set up uh, Gentle Farming. You won an award for setting it up, digging for innovation. Mm-hmm. And, and I love this you know, very specific challenge that was posed. So the question, can productivity and biodiversity coexist? Uh, and all sorts of people applied and, and you won. Is that right? Yeah. So um, what was the answer then? Can productivity <laughs> and biodiversity coexist? What, what, what did you say? What did you set up? Yes, I think, yes, it can. Um, and yeah, like I guess the thing is like we're proving it here. Like we've got huge amounts of biodiversity on our farm. Um, and yeah, we're still producing a product to sell. Otherwise, you know, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have a house. <laughs> so um, yeah, like, w- yeah, it is possible. Um, but it needs to be done in the right way, I guess. Okay. So what's gentle farming? So um, so uh, so from, from the way we farm um, and improving our soil biology and all that kind of thing, um, I knew that we was adding carbon um, into the soil and that carbon is coming from the atmosphere. Um, so we are taking atmospheric carbon, putting it in the soil um, and storing it. Um, and I, and I, I knew we was doing this and I wanted to find a way to quantify it because I knew, um, you know, all the big airlines, the big tech companies were saying they wanted to buy carbon offsets. So I was like, oh, maybe I've got a product here. So I've spent the last year trying to find a way to do it um i was bored in the first lockdown and i kind of set myself the challenge to see if i could do it um which was a bit naive i suppose at the time but yeah and i spent the yes last year trying every way you can possibly find learning a lot making lots of mistakes but now in the past sort of yeah three or four months we've got a system that works we're going to produce our first carbon certificates in the autumn um, we're signing up farmers kind of nationwide at the moment um and yeah like this is a really proof of concept yeah it's a really new thing um but yeah no we don't really know you know nobody knows things till they push the boundaries and try things um and yeah this time year will you know, this time next year we'll have, we'll have you know done a cycle and we'll be pushing to get more and more farmers on board yeah interesting and 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 what's the you know i suppose there's there's multiple objectives but is is the key objective to find a way to help farmers make that transition from intensive farming to regenerative farming is that is that your key focus yeah we need to incentivize more farmers to make that transition and we need to reward and encourage the farmers that already have made that transition to keep making you know keep doing things in a better and better way um because you know those pioneering farmers will keep pushing the boundaries into other ideas that probably we can't even think of um, and then we need to get the farmers that, you know, haven't even started looking at it yet to, you know, incentivize to start doing something. Okay. So, so how are you actually doing? You've got a farmer you, and, and he wants to make this transition, but, but realizes it's going to take somewhere between three and five years and that's going to hurt financially. You rock up and say, hey, look, we can prove how much carbon you're getting out of the atmosphere now, how much you will get out in, in three or five years' time. Yeah. And in essence, you can then come up with these carbon certificates that you sell to companies that, that helps subsidise the farmer. Is that is that in a nutshell how it works? Yeah, in a nutshell, yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, for farmers that kind of, you know, are, are less on this journey or, you know, new to the journey or whatever, um, we offer completely free training to um farm agronomists um to to understand you know how regenerative works and understand our system and to help their farmers um come onto the system um 
Okay. Do you want me to explain where agronomist? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, you saw my face. Yeah, 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 yeah. I could see your face. So, yeah. an um, agronomist is the best way to describe it is like a vet, but for arable crop production. So it's a vet for your plants. That's essentially what it is. Um, they'll come round and you know advise the farmer on you know what sh- what should we do with this plant? How, you know what should we grow? How should we grow it? All that kind of thing. What diseases are we getting? All of that. Um, and you know they're the people that make they help make decisions on farms and they're very trusted by farmers. Um, so that's kind of why we've offered them the free training to understand the system really and how it can benefit farmers to become more regenerative. And and they would normally learn, what are they called again? Agronom- <laughs> Agronomists. Agronomists. They would normally <laughs> learn how to be an agronomist yeah. um, at, at sort of, I don't know, college or whatever, do they? It's a course that you follow. Is yeah. regenerative farming part of that or not? No, so that's, that's I guess that's the other problem is um, a lot of these agronomists are very traditional and again probably of the older generation and went to school when you know plowing and all of that things were taught at agricultural colleges um and so that yeah some of us i mean so obviously some are really experts in regenerative absolutely and we've got one here that's kind of a regen ag specialist um but you know there's a lot of agronomists that you know are skeptical don't understand it want some more knowledge um and yeah, that's kind of why we got the training there. Okay, so in my world, this probably reminds me of chefs, I guess, and, and wanting chefs to use sustainable produce, but finding out that actually at college, you know, they're not really taught about the sustainability of, yeah. you know, where your fish is from and how it's caught. They're taught about how to make a fish yeah. taste amazing uh, yeah. and how to cook it, but yeah, maybe less so on the environmental side. But I guess that's changing. It's interesting, I suppose, isn't it? Who's 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 pushing for the change i wouldn't be surprised if it's the students saying hang on you know you're you're missing this we want to learn it rather than the teachers necessarily wanting to teach it how can you afford to offer free training where do you get the cash for that yeah so that's obviously part of the scheme so that's you know when when we sell a certificate we take a margin to cover all the costs and it's part of that okay what's this uh commodity carbon who are who are they yeah so this is it's basically the soil carbon certification system that we use um they're a danish kind of agri-tech company they've um they do like online grain trading they've been doing that in eastern europe um quite big for quite a few years but in the last year they developed this soil carbon system um yeah soil carbon certification system and yeah i i I suppose i came to them um at a point where i had i knew lots of farmers and i'd spent a year talking to lots of buyers who wanted to buy some carbon but i just couldn't find a system in the middle um, and that's what I spent the year trying to find. Um, and I tried lots of systems out. And this is the only system that as a farmer, I could actually use, made sense, delivered me what I wanted to. So yeah, I formed a partnership with them. Um, and we basically spent the first part of this year translating, adapting their system to fit a UK farm with all its little quirks. Um, and yeah, now we've, we're kind of up and running and operating, I guess. Okay, so this, this is really about giving people confidence and accreditation process yeah. to say... If you're if you want to buy a certificate, you know we can we can absolutely demonstrate impact. Yeah. But if you're a farmer, here's some some pro- here's a process, here's yeah. an accredited process you step through. What sort of things then will the farmer be needing to do? What would they change to to, to qualify for this? I guess. So obviously it depends completely on their farming practices, and it and it, I like the system because it it incentivizes you to do better. So you know you could you you basically it look you go on the system you input all the information about your field what you've done this year what you did last year um and and we can calculate the carbon from that but what it means is if you go on the system and my dad will use it now is 
you know, he'll he'll try and just manage and plan what he's going to do kind of based on the carbon. So what it means is he, he practically makes changes on the ground because he goes on the system and decides whether to plant a cover crop, whether to what crop to plant this year, how much diesel to use, all that kind of thing based on the amount of carbon credits he's going to lose essentially. So that he's going to cost him some loss in carbon credits. And is that benefited by the by the you know the the problem you know, whatever he's got to do to to achieve that so but the, what that yeah what that really means is he can, he makes really active changes on the ground that actually make a difference in real life essentially okay amazing and then most people when they think about carbon credits and they they think about you know these kind of schemes i suppose they think trees don't they you kind yeah. of have this impression that and, I, and i'm now i'm always a little bit cynical i'm sure some of them are amazing but i always worry a little bit that people just think look i can buy a credit and carry on i don't know fly into you know monaco every weekend and and, and drive around in a you know great big sun seeker or whatever your boat yeah. might be um or all that you know on the other side of it it might be that you know you go to some guy and say hey you've got a forest you know were you ever going to cut it down and they say no and they're like great you know can i use it to get some carbon credits and and i don't know how these things work so i love the idea that this is much more transparent and that it's accredited but why why you know the, 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 even in the news i think over the last couple of weeks the government have been talking about how many trees they're going to plant why do people think that trees are the best thing and are they not why is why is farming better <laughs> yeah so trees are like you say like the tradition when you think of a carbon offset everybody thinks let's plant some trees um which is a shame like you know but that really is because tree. It's just because that's what's been accepted, and I guess that's that's kind of the old way of doing it. You know, trees is we, we you know we've got a system. It works. We all abide by it. It's all good. Soil carbon's a much more new, innovative, pioneering thing, and we're right at the start of that market. And I expect it to grow massively in the next kind of yeah five years or so. Um, and I guess that's kind of, that's kind of the only reason that carbon soil carbon isn't there yet is it's just so new and so like pioneering. Um, the, but the, um, the exciting thing for me is, you know, you plant a tree, it takes 15, 20 years to grow and do what you paid it to do. Um, but because we, we, you know, we act, you know, we're actively doing things. We do it in the soil in a year, in a crop year, we can do what a tree does over 20 years. We can do it in one year. Um, and that's the exciting bit because we can make a difference so much quicker. Yeah, sounds incredible. How much land, like you look at a tree, I don't know, I don't know what sort of trees we plant. I guess we're not planting oak trees and stuff. I guess it's mixed. <laughs> but um, and let's say it takes, you know, 20, 30 years to get to, to a certain size. Has anybody done the calculation to show, okay, how much land do you need to be farming to, to, to suck out the same amount of carbon as a tree? Yeah, I'm, I'm not 100% sure on the carbon tons per tree. <laughs> <laughs> I think it depends on the, it depends on the tree. Why not, probably. Thomas? What's the matter with you? What have you been doing all morning? <laughs> um, so... Well, the, the, like, uh, all I can tell you is what soil carbon can do. So soil carbon can do, on average, like it obviously depends so much on each farm, but on average, about two to three tons of carbon into the soil per hectare per year. Wow, um, that sounds so, like a, a lot. Yeah, so just to kind of put that in context, I guess, like, so we farm um, about 800 hectares. Um, so yeah, we'll be sucking in kind of 1,500, 2,000 tons of carbon a year um into our soils um and yeah like and the important thing is like we do it in a year like we actually do it in a year yeah <laughs> and then you do it the next year yeah we do it next year. year yeah exactly yeah. and then i was i can't remember you've got some amazing videos on the on the gentle farming website that really kind of highlight 
I suppose you know the issue around soil, but also this opportunity because yeah. um, I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something like you know if, if all of the farms shifted to regenerative farming, it would suck out you know the, the enough carbon from in, in from the planet in something like five years or something ridiculous. Yeah. We've got all these grand schemes at the moment, you know, fifty years to do this, fifty years yeah. to do that, but it could be done in five. And and they were recognizing that okay, you know, not everybody's going to change their mind straight away, so it won't take five. But actually, you know, with with some sort of fairly intensive education, you could do it in fifteen. It feels like a bigger opportunity than anything else yeah. that we're doing at the moment is that is that right if i yeah. remembered that correctly yeah yeah so that's where the figures are like I, yeah i can't quite remember but it's something like if everybody if every hectare in the world improves its organic matter by like a tiny amount it's like 0.1 percent then we get our carbon back to pre-industrial levels it's something like that um which you know all these kind of big numbers always seem a bit crazy and unrealistic and it does your head in a bit um that's kind of why I, I'm, you know, <laughs> I don't, I guess I don't really keep an eye on that big picture. Like I w just want to make difference to single farms on the actual ground that people can drive past and see the difference, you know, because yeah. that's what makes the difference in real life. Okay. How many hectares did you say you farm? 800-ish. 800 hectares. Yeah. So, so is that a big farm or medium? Yeah, yeah, large-ish, large, medium, yeah. large. Okay. Um, and uh, so, you, so your average farmer, he's got some land. He what yeah. he, he recognises he needs to go on this three or five year transition. You're yeah. trying to help because you're giving him the education, but you're also trying to provide the financial incentive. Yeah. Is it enough? You know, how much how much money can you sell a certificate for? And and, and is is a certificate presumably? It, it, you know, either you pay. I don't know if it's numbers of certificates or you you pay for a bigger certificate because you're getting more <laughs> carbon out. But realistically, is it enough money? to help the farmers on this transition is this potentially quite significant yeah so that the crucial bit about this is um i don't know yeah like how many people are aware but we used to get um funding from the eu to, to farm essentially um as a subsidy and now you know we've we've decided we want to leave the eu um, we won't get into that debate but um what that means is that we are losing that funding um and the government are saying that they want to um replace that funding with environmental projects we don't know what they're going to look like and they don't we don't expect them to come out for sort of four or five years um which you know it's a long time and, and farmers have got a long quite a big gap in between losing funding and getting new funding that we don't know what it is yet um that that, that might shortfall and it might cause a lot of farms to go out of business so kind of what i hope we can cover a bit of that gap um and yeah the 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 incentive that we can give um yeah like it depends on each farm but it's going to go some of the way to kind of replacing that that subsidy that we used to get from the eu um and it and it's going to be doing a good thing like incent incentivizing farmers to go in the right direction <laughs> would it go when you say it'll go some of the way like 10 percent, 50 percent, 50 percent at 50%, least yeah? yeah okay so it's a dude yeah it's a good old chunk yeah nice so then you need to find people who want to buy these carbon credits. In essence, at the moment, most people presumably are going, I don't know if there's like a, if they're a middleman in carbon credit world, you, you, you're going to be selling this directly to, I don't know, the guy who's just bought himself a new Porsche or <laughs> are you selling this to, you know, big companies? Yeah. Where, where do you, where do you take this? Yeah. So, I mean, like this is our first year and when this year we're not going to have a huge amount, so it, it's not going to be too difficult. Like it is going to become interesting in other years. Like, yeah, there's a lot of kind of carbon traders and carbon markets and all that kind of thing. And how do we, you know, don't get caught in the middleman thing that we all do in, you know, in, in crop production. We want to kind of go direct. Um, and I guess that's what I aim to do is go much more direct. Um, 
and yeah i mean it, it is easier dealing with kind of companies that want to buy like a decent amount of credits at a time but um that we, we yeah we're hoping to work with quite a few of these there's a lot of these apps about that do kind of carbon offsetting to to be able to sell it to kind of individuals as well is there yeah okay yeah. and and at the moment because you presumably you've researched this sorry if i'm going into areas <laughs> that you're not an expert in but at the moment <laughs> are, are most of these certificates you can buy carbon offsets are, the, are these generally overseas you know you hear about amazon projects and all this kind of yeah. stuff are, are there many in the uk or are they, is this a pretty global thing no so yeah so um pretty much i mean there's there's a few woodland projects in the uk but like kind of 90 percent of carbon credits um yeah are far from like developing countries so yeah like the amazon and stuff like that um it's tricky like you know it like do you really want to be sending your money the other side of the world to something that is very hard to kind of keep the accountability on and actually see if it actually happened um or you can spend it you know we you know we we want to be able to facilitate people to pick a farm and invest in the one that's you know 10 miles up the road or the one they drive past to go to work or whatever um and you know you can keep it you know you can see what's happening you can see you know what how, what your goods doing i guess yeah sounds amazing i you know I, 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 yeah i think it's such a uh, a, an awesome concept once you've so let's say yeah somebody invests in their local farm they feel like they're helping them on this transitionary journey once you've been on that transition how does the farmer work out you know a sort of ongoing credits because i imagine the biggest change is year one to year five and you've made a huge difference is it then going to be sort of on a continual basis to say okay well this is this is where you were five years ago so as long as you continue this way or actually does it do, i don't know does it yeah does it does it end up that they don't need the support then because actually the yields up you know they've gone through the transition and then you move on to the next farm is, is the best thing if ultimately if you do yourself out of business and everybody's farming regeneratively yeah. you, you don't need it anymore <laughs> i mean the, the best thing yeah everybody's farming regeneratively and all the businesses are carbon neutral and the carbon market it doesn't exist that's i guess that's <laughs> that's the ultimate aim but before you die you've got um, 60 70 yeah. <laughs> years thomas to pull it off but Go there's on. quite a long <laughs> transition in between that um between now and then definitely but yeah like farms soil keeps doing this every year um to what extent you know uh, you know maybe 20 30 years of regen it's going to slightly decrease um but yeah th what we've seen is the first 20 years are pretty consistently this is what it does essentially okay. And, and so what's the response been then? Because this is an innovative idea, particularly, I suppose, you know, like you say, e even the fact of understanding how much carbon soil is sucking out yeah. of the atmosphere is fairly new, but actually coming up with a way of measuring that and putting in a system. Are you are you the only person doing that in the UK? And, and what's the response been to people you're chatting to? So it's interesting, like within agriculture, like everybody is talking about it. Everybody's talking about soil carbon. It's the new opportunity It's going to save the industry, all that kind of thing. There's not many people actually doing something. Um, I don't actually know of a system in the UK that's up and running this year. There's kind of talks of systems coming in the next, you know, few years. Um, but, you know, hopefully we'll like, get, get up and running faster. Um, there's some systems that work in North America. There's, I think there's one in Australia. Um, but it is a very kind of new area. Um, and yeah, kind of in terms, I mean, farmers are, I, I guess understandably kind of nervous of a new market and the kind of you know how's it going to work and all that kind of thing um and the farmers we've got now are definitely kind of the most pioneering you know risk-taking if you want to call it that um innovative farmers um and kind of once we've run through a year like we'll have got some case studies of what happened and we'll have kind of you know proof concept and paid farmers and all that kind of stuff um and then i expect kind of this time next year to snowball pretty rapidly as as people start to see 
you know it's kind of you know at this stage it is like proof of concept year and next yeah. stage is like like we've done it now like yeah. this is how it works come and join us kind of thing feels like you're in beta from a tech perspective yeah, <laughs> yeah and have you have you got farmers then that are doing it is, is this now started have yeah you, yeah, got, yeah. so got we've f- got um 35 ish farmers signed up kind of all across the country um we're aiming for 50 this year but in that region yeah okay and they've all you know so you've got this measurable uh what was it called com comma commodity carbon yeah. commodity carbon there you go agronomist and com- yeah. commodity <laughs> carbon i never uh, yeah, normally struggle to um to talk too much um <laughs> so you've got that system in place and have you also got people who have fundamentally bought the the credits ready for investment has, has anybody invested in this yet have, have so government invested have you had any support yeah no or? so i've i've sold 200 tons of credits um off our farm just to kind of I guess prove to myself I could do it. Okay. But you, <laughs> um, you have told you had the money yet. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's done. Um, Amazing. Who to? Like uh, lots of people, or did you go uh, to a no, middleman? Or big company, but a waste management company, really. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, Sorry, um, I didn't need the like. You know, yeah, I, wasn't, yeah. I wasn't asking for name and number, but that's good. That's yeah, good yeah. that there's there's a market sort out there. Done. So yeah, that's good. Yeah. Excellent. And, but then, like like this kind of few months, well, last few months, we've been massively focusing on farmers and getting the system right and you know, all that kind of thing and getting them on the system. Um, I I had a few weeks like really talking to buyers and kind of gauging interest. Um, and it was, ma- to be honest, quite overwhelming. <laughs> um, everybody's interested. Everybody wants to talk about it. Everybody wants to buy carbon credits, it seems like. And, it you know, all the predictions are the carbon credit market's only going to increase. Um, but yeah, like at the minute we're focused on farmers um, and then kind of, yeah, after harvest, mid-harvest, we'll start focusing more on buyers i guess okay who decides how much a carbon credit sells for is there like a is there is like a commodity is there a price for a carbon credit well this so this is the interesting thing like there is commodity prices um but i i think they you know their commodity price is just the same as it's a commodity wheat right it it's you know it's determined by massive carbon projects in you know brazil that trade really really cheap and all that kind of thing um like i personally believe that i we've got a premium carbon product that you know does biodiversity it does water quality it's local you can buy some produce you know you can see some farms come and visit one of the farms you know what I mean? all that kind of stuff is going to improve the price and it give more incentive to farmers to, to make the difference quicker um so in terms of like what price <laughs> at the minute it's super hard like we haven't really kind of decided i guess um but we're the, the kind of thing that i would like to say is like we're we want to be at the premium end of the carbon market and our kind of plan is to have kind of a marketplace of farmers so every farm gets their own like profile and pictures and story of their farm and all that kind of thing so a buyer can come on and you know browse all the farms and see where they all are in the country and pick one that they're you know really interested in or produces something that they you know are interested in or local or near their mum and dad's house you know whatever it is yeah. um to buy from um okay which yeah i hope can achieve a premium and is is um what are they measured in credits for is, it, is this per ton like? yeah so it's, it's yeah, literally one credit is one ton of carbon stored okay so you can go and basically say yeah and i guess specialists if it's a company thing can come in and say right your company's burning whatever it is 20 tons of carbon a year so to offset it go and buy 20 carbon credits yeah instance. exactly yeah and there's lots of these kind of carbon calculators about um and there's a lot of companies that of specializing carbon calculations amazing i love it i think it's awesome you know just just the visibility and credibility of being able to do it on a local level and then the benefit the fact that it's you know supporting british farmers and it's ultimately like you say soil is everything everything we eat comes from the soil it's got a benefit on public health and nutrition and water quality there there just seems like so many 
an insane amount of plus size. I can't believe that, you know, you're being interviewed by me. I feel like you should be being interviewed by, you know, BBC News <laughs> or, or Rishi and he should be giving you uh, a load of money to get this off the <laughs> ground. Um, but it's not, you know, uh, uh, my family thought I was quite sad when I got tragically excited. But, you know, Soil almost became cool when Netflix put out that Kiss the Ground movie you're clearly passionate about soil we you know are, are you pleased i suppose with the the trajectory you know of, of public opinion and, and and do you think that we might be on you know the the cusp i suppose of, of a bit more understanding and actually you know a, a, a huge growth in this areas and do things like those sort of you know documentaries do they help do you think yeah yeah i thought kiss the ground was so good and it and uh, like yeah like all of the people I've spoke to, I guess, in the last year are all like, oh, yeah, I've seen a film about that. or And it just creates that bit of w- awareness that wasn't there before, I think. Um, so, yeah, like, I'm really supportive of those documentaries. And, like, there's, there seems to be a lot more kind of media news and attention about um, soil. I guess, I guess I'm a bit biased because I keep an eye on that kind of area. But, um, yeah, kind of that's what I've seen. Um, and there definitely is becoming more awareness. And I do think you're right. Like, we are at the start of people starting to understand it a bit more but you know soil is soil is such a complex thing and you know soil scientists will will admit like we don't know much about soil it's a super complex like biology and mix of chemistry and physics and and you know we're only at the start of the understanding i guess yeah i was trying to read that stat i was looking in my notes here about how many microorganisms are in like a teaspoon of yeah it's something like a hundred billion microorganisms in a handful of soil there's something like that utterly mind-blowing it feels like the ocean that we don't you know we don't really know you know we go down to a certain level and i suppose that's one of the things that confuses me a little bit i'm sorry if you don't know the answer um but do we know how like how far soil goes down is like soil just the top <laughs> bit because i kind of think like okay even if you're bashing the crap out of the top bit of soil you know does it go down 30 meters or is yeah. soil literally just the you know the first sort of six six inches because you'd like to think if you go down far enough that the organisms and all the cool shit's going on even if you are <laughs> doing some bad stuff to the top but do you, no, does so that make sense yeah i know exactly what you mean and it is probably a misconception um that yeah so like so yeah first how deep is soil um like I'm going to say again, absolutely depends where you are. Some places I know in the country are like this much soil and then you get to a rock and, you know, around here it's pretty deep. Um, you know, for people, for down. people listening and not watching the video, that was about Sorry. two inches <laughs> in, in, in your hand. So I yeah, not, not, not very deep. Um, yeah. And then, um, yeah, like round here you can kind of do, you know, two meters, it's still kind of clay soil and stuff. Um, so it depends. Um, the thing is like soil, active soil um that does stuff does biology does improving carbon all that stuff only happens in the top bit (laughs) in the technical terms (laughs) now you're talking my language yeah exactly it only happens in the top bit because once you get lower you oxygen gets depleted from the soil like you know like the the weight of the soil means there's not much oxygen down there right and um the water table you know around here is you know sort of covers it makes it underwater and um and the, the, basically the pressure kind of means that there's not there's not much active stuff going on um so you know we we've got to, we've got to do something the bit that we can control and the bit we can tr- control is the top bit um and that's the bit that does does the work um so that's the bit we've got to do something about um there is kind of loads of science showing that you know if you improve the top bit that that good stuff moves down um and you can start to kind of influence deeper right um but there needs to be more research in that. 
Okay, excellent. We're going to go and dig a hole in a minute. Let's go down. What should we go down? Three or four meters and see if there's anything <laughs> still living? We've got a digger we, out there. We can go have you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, come on. You've got toys. Um, who is against this? You know, I, I hear, and, and you'll know much better than me, but, you know, in these conversations I've had with other farmers, I suppose, you know, and, and, and the things that I learn about, you know, buying seeds and those seeds already pretty much come wrapped in some sort of chemical and fertilizer. And, and there's actually four or five, you know, big, big companies that seem to control all of this, you know, and the same people selling the seeds are the same people that are selling the chemicals and the fertilizers. And it feels like some sort of huge monopoly. Are they, are they fundamentally, and I, I guess I'll use the analogy of, you know, looking at people like Shell and don't sue me anybody. All right. This is just a chat. But <laughs> if you look at the big oil companies, you can't help but be cynical and go, OK, you know, you come out with all of this green stuff now to say, look, we're going to invest in the future and we're, we're investing in, in, in wind and all this other tech and, and, and can't help but be super cynical. But then also go, well, OK, like surely if you were the CEO of those companies, you'd recognize that if you're using a finite resource, you absolutely should be investing in the next tech to come along. Otherwise, you won't long term have a company anymore. You'd like to think that the big companies that, that invest in all of this recognize that we need to take this transition but can't help but feel that they'll be having much more short-term shareholder conversations where they're massively incentivized to screw up the soil as much as possible and fill it full of artificial shit what's your kind of experience again <laughs> don't sue thomas either <laughs> but what's your experience of the big companies that are behind british agriculture you know where where are they at in this but that like there is a big problem in that and you're right like there's there's a few companies that yeah buy all the grain sell all the chemicals um, and control the system um, and yeah like they like we use a lot less chemicals here we use a lot less fertilizers um, and yeah they don't benefit from using our system also the other thing that is good to think of is we use massively smaller tractors uh, massively less horsepower so we just don't buy we just don't buy many tractors we don't need many tractors and the tractors we do buy are the cheap tractors because we don't need big tractors um, so kind of industry powerful industry um is all focused on you know high intensive high yielding production um systems and ours is very not that so there is there's a conflict definitely um it's kind of the same as shell and stuff like you know all that all they talk about is we're gonna do all we want to do support sustainable farming and stuff um but yeah how does it affect their uh, yeah. shareholders so are they are they at least saying that they're interested in oh yeah like definitely yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. i've had conversations with quite a few of them they you know they they can see it's coming and i i think they can see it's coming and it's going to come whether they like it or not mm. so they've got to be playing the game yeah <laughs> well it feels like a lot of these things now because of the likes of these sort of netflix documentaries that you know whereas before we relied on government giving us information now we don't now there's independent reporters you can go out there and whereas before you know those independent reporters couldn't afford to put an ad in the you know in one of the massive newspapers yeah. now they can they can record a video on their iphone and stick it out in the world and we get to hear so i do think there's a there's an interesting education piece there's a, there's clearly a misinformation piece going on as well but uh yeah it feels like it doesn't just need to come from government but you, you know who what's the government response you know I, I, again you presumably read read stuff are <laughs> they aware of this and doing anything about it aware of it and not doing anything about it or not aware of it yeah so the government are in a bit of decision time i guess at the minute where we'll we've come out of the eu um we're losing that funding as farmers um, and yeah, they've said we're going to get fun environmental funding for public goods, um, which is a bit of a woolly term. And we don't know any of the details yet, um, but they're supposed to be coming out in the next kind of four or five years. Um, but they are very aware of the soil carbon market um, and how it's developing and keeping an eye on it. And I hope that 
we can have some good constructive conversations as we go um, and as we kind of prove concept, I guess. Um, from my perspective, like, you know, the, the, you know the, the, uh, the UK government is not as big as the EU government funding budget was. Um, and, you know, COVID has restricted a lot of money. You know, somebody spent a lot of money on vaccines, which is obviously a good thing. But what that means is, you know, the agricultural DEFRA budget is being, is being restricted. And if I can come to them with a solution that improves and does environmental good and all the things they want to do, and I can get the money from private funding and they don't have to pay anything, I think they're going to be quite happy with that. <laughs> You'd like to think so, wouldn't you? It feels like a no-brainer. There's, there's an argument, and I, and I don't know again whether this is true, so interested in, in your perspective as a farmer, but I suppose the, the, you know, the British government have very much been saying, look, when we're not controlled by European policy with regards to farming, we can have a much more environmental focus on the money and on the grants that are given out. We can be much more nimble, and actually trying to turn a ship as big as the EU is much harder. And, and certainly they're saying that they want to be you know, in, investing in renewables and be one of the most environmentally conscious countries on the planet. Your experience of that, do you think, okay, there is an opportunity here because, you know, I have only got to negotiate with the British government and not the European government, or are, are they greenwashing us? They, they, I mean, uh, we just don't know yet. Like, they've they've done this, they obviously come out of the EU, like we said, and they've got, and they've said they want to do environmental payments. Um, it is tricky because, like, We've still got to produce food and we've got to produce good quality food and we've still got to produce a lot of it. So there is conflict and it's not an easy thing and I don't envy the people that just have to decide at DEFRA. Um, but yeah, they, they're they definitely saying all the right things and we, we've just got to wait and see kind of what comes actually out in real life, I guess. Yeah. Okay, good. So key thing is, you know, sounds like you've got a huge amount of momentum you know that it's going pretty well considering this was just a little idea that you had in the shower you know in the first <laughs> lockdown or whatever yeah. and thought oh where could this take me yeah. i mean that's amazing that that's like a year's worth of of work you know yeah. you, you're clearly really knowledgeable on it but more than knowledgeable on it like the fact you've now got 35 farms that have started you've got this accreditation system you've you've, you've started selling you know hats off to you congratulations i think it's awesome are you are you you know, is this your full-time thing now? Is your dad sobbing on his tractor, <laughs> going, "Jam, where, where's where's Thomas? He's supposed to be out ploughing up a field." You know, do you, and 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 how long do you think, you know, before this becomes, I suppose, yes, yeah, su sustainable, not from an environmental perspe perspective, but from a, a sort of a job and a business? And do you see yourself employing people and stuff? W how's this going to play out? Yeah, well, so Dad wouldn't be upset because I'm not ploughing the field because we're not ploughing. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course you're not. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, um, idiot. You're not out there walking with yeah, your... Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but no, this is... Yeah, like, this is a business. Um, and obviously, it's a business with a good ethos. But, you know, it's a business. And, I, and I'm and i very much a believer in, you know, the B Corp thing of business can be a good good tool. Um, and, yeah, I, it is... Um, you know, this is the first year, very much proof of concept. And it does take up pretty much all my time. Um like yeah along into the evenings um but i yeah I, I kind of expect hopefully like you know it's a new startup we don't know but hopefully kind of yeah i'll be able to have staff and stuff and yeah it'll grow as a business essentially amazing all right cool so um can we go and dig a hole because yeah, it'll be pretty cool to uh <laughs> yeah can, can we take the no i don't need to take the digger take a dog <laughs> they can uh, they can dig the holes yeah. but yeah let's get let's get out there and what was it called a, a herb herb lay herbal lay okay we're gonna go and have a look at a herbal lay <laughs> i've learned so many new words today uh so yeah let's get out there and have a look thanks so um yeah we've wandered up just uh i don't know not too far a couple of hundred meters maybe from your house uh where are we now thomas so we are in a 
in a herbal lay field that we spoke about. Um, it's a bit of a, it's a new thing. We're supposed to get environmental payment from the government in the future, in theory. Um, but we've planted this for our own experiment, really. And I suppose to see if we can do it without subsidy. Um, we've fenced it, um, which, yeah, we can see. Um, and we've done that because we're going to graze it with horses because we... Obviously, the you know the person that's going to graze the horses is going to pay some money, and then we kind of hope that the the manures and the hoofs and you know grazing um, should improve the soil quality. And then yeah, this will be down for sort of I think we're thinking sort of three to five years. Um, and then when it comes out of that, the the crop that it produces should be exceptional. Okay. <laughs> and why are the government interested in potentially or Defra interested in giving you a grant for a yeah. field like this? What's their motivation? Why is it good? Yeah, because it's so good for soil quality. So. Um, yeah, it's a herbal lay, which kind of means it's a mixture of a massive amount of things. Um, some say it looks weedy. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Probably does. <laughs> um, but yeah, some of these things, obviously, the thistles are not meant to be in here. But a lot of the things, clovers, um, dock leaves, um, there's a few other phacelias, um, stuff like that, um, are supposed to be in here. Um, and they all improve soil quality and they all do different jobs. So clover um, takes nitrogen out of the air and puts it in the soil. And that means that the the crop, the wheat crop or whatever we plant in after this, is really going to need almost no artificial fertilizers. Um, and that and that and and you know and the, and the nitrogen we get from the air is massively better than the nitrogen we can get from a bag. Um, and then yeah, and then all the other cro- all the other plants do all different things, different root structures, deep roots, shallow roots. Um, yeah. So you've planted this with yeah, all this stuff. Yeah, we planted this um, about a year ago ish. From it, seed? Is this you yeah, just scatter yeah. seed on it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in a technical way. Am I, am I, do you, am I oversimplifying? Yeah, that so or? obviously we've got a drill, like a machine oh, yeah. that we pull a tractor and we, we plant it. Right. Um, and then we've mowed it a few times to like, basically to get it to kind of thicken up. Yeah. Um, and now it's, yeah, looking pretty good. We've we've had a um, harvest of silage off it, which is just the grass mulch, which, you know, sort of like what you get from your lawnmower, um, but we do it on a bigger scale and that's gone to a, to, to, into a anaerobic digester to make green energy um and now it's yeah ready okay we've just finished the fencing let's put some horses on it so how long what was here before you planted it as uh, it was cr- as in just it was in crop so right. um i think it was i think it was wheat before this right but it was yours it had been done regen- regeneratively for a while yes yeah 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 okay but this is about almost like super boosting the, yeah. the soil how long did you say before you would use this field for crops though uh, a while. well it's we kind of we don't really know we, how long it takes but our, our aim is like three, five years, three wow, to five years. Quite a long time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You have to think Partic- long term. Yeah, particularly if you were already farming this field in a regenerative way. Anyway, by the time you've done that, you're going to have like really pimped soil, basically. Pimped this is going to be yeah. this is going to be your gold dust. It should be. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the test? Yeah. And then the how test. will you? Know, when you say you, you know, it depends. You know, it takes as long as it takes. What you, what do you do? You sort of constantly test the soil quality with your agronomist. Do you, do you like the way I actually said agronomist yeah. there without having well to stop used. and think about it? Thank you. <laughs> no. So yeah. So it 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 really. We'll we'll basically take this out of out of production when it, it when it sort of starts to fade. Um, so herbal lay plants are kind of they have a bit of a lifetime. You know the clover and that will it'll be good for sort of five years or so, and then it'll start to kind of fade and you know it's done its life. Um, and then and then it'll come back into into crop production. Okay. So thinking of that, your sort of yield perspective, the the, the yeah. period of that sort of three to five years while you're pimping your soil. Yeah. Um, you can monetize it by renting to a horse. Can you actually use the herbs for anything? You mentioned the silage. Is there any other way? Like, is, is this basically costing you money to have this field sat here on this experiment? So, um, it, uh, this is why it's an experiment because we don't mind if it costs us yeah, money. Yeah. Um, but 
we're obviously trying to make, find a way to make it pay. The horse, the horse thing is really good. Yeah. But it obviously like relies on a person, and you know, like yeah, whether you can find people and all yeah. that kind of thing. Um, but um, yeah, if, if the horsey lady keeps on there all the time, it'll it'll it'll, it'll pay. pay. Yeah, and then you can pay. just potentially move to it. How big is this field? Uh, five hectares. This is. Is it? Yeah. How many acres is that? Twelve acres. Just Ish. testing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Ish>. <laughs> but listening. this is experiment, and we plan to do all the way down this road. So that's fifty hectares. Okay. Wow. It's cool, isn't it? Love it. All that's right. That's the plan. So, um, even now, though, compared to digging in one of your neighbours' farms, for example, you're going to dig a hole. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, we could you, dig. You, a hole. you should. Um, <laughs> you should basically find <laughs> that it's. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, at least we've had a little bit, a little bit of rain. The roots, it should be hard to dig because the root structure is so thick. Um, right. Like it should be hard to break up. Yeah. So yeah, like, like that noise. You probably didn't hear the noise, but the noise of like the roots ripping. Yeah. That's the noise that we want to hear um, because it means there's stuff happening essentially. Okay. So the first thing we see really is the darkness of the soil. It's kind of a really dark chocolate colour. Um, yeah, it is. And that means, basically means there's lots of organic matter in the soil. Then the next thing we can see is all these roots. Um, yeah, there's a massive amount. They're kind of oozing, <laughs> for want a of good, a better word, from the soil. Word. If I was a herb, I'd um, be happy to live there. It does yeah, look, it and then yeah, look, there's a little worm there. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the other thing is there's all these layers. Look, there's these layers like this. Yeah, almost peels. And it all breaks apart really easily. Right. Like crumbly. Yeah. And it's and the other thing is we we've had quite a lot of rain, and it it's lovely. You know you could drive in here. It's it's not too wet. It's not too squishy. Yeah. And that's because all of that root. Yeah, you're right. It's absolutely stuff. full of root. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that, but that's I'll what you damage when you disturb I'll it. I'll take some photos in a second and uh, and pop them up on the on the notes that go with this episode. But yeah, so when I've walked, I mean I was out on a walk a couple of months ago over in the Purbex, and it almost looked like wasteland. I guess it was just yeah, just a bare soil, and it was so compacted and dry. It almost looked like there'd been some sort of nuclear explosion. <laughs> so this is this is the opposite to that basically. And you were saying that you know we had that really dry period in April, uh, and you could tell the difference in you know your crop compared to your neighboring fields crops just from a color perspective yeah exactly yeah so when it was that really dry period um obviously our soil stores a lot more water um and neighboring farms kind of crops were starting to get a bit yellow and a bit kind of drought you know showing the drought um and our yeah ours was sort of green as grass still you know happy motoring away doing their job essentially yeah nice um, well, look, you hold that while I take oh, a couple sorry. of photos. And then, um, so this year, yeah, really cold sort of um, start, I suppose. Um, what you know, what difference does that make um, to what you do? And, and how long, like, you know, do, 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 is there sort of an inevitability that you catch up at some point and it sorts itself out sort of from experience of previous years? Or is this a genuine problem when you have such a such a cold start to spring? Yeah, late, late frost. We had really late frost, which was weird. Um, haven't really, well, like, I'm fairly young, so I haven't really seen that before, but you know granddad always seen he's seen everything before yeah um, and even for him is he saying that was really because un- it did feel you know, unusual. it was very unusual yeah, yeah well, even to in be May, fair, we had frost yeah we? well the last two years um of dry spells really really wet spells have been you know granddad absolutely cannot remember it ever happening in his lifetime yeah. um you know fa- genuinely farmers on the ground are seeing the impacts of climate change whatever you want to call it it is making a difference to no, to life and to the crops we produce and the food that people eat. So is that 
do you think motivating people to sort of you know say is your granddad i suppose he was one of the pioneers kind of doing this anyway but is he almost kind of going look i told you so and can you speak to the neighbors <laughs> now and go see what i mean so i've been banging on about for the last 12 years it is interesting like in the last year or so we've had a lot more you know farming friends farming neighbors I'd, i wouldn't say you know they'll never say oh that looks good but just looking a bit more and being a bit more you know aware of what's happening um and asking a few questions and being a bit more nosy so really? there's definitely yeah interest okay. interesting isn't it? yeah okay amazing well look thank you for uh yeah for showing me and uh yeah good good to see it in the real world look, i think this is this is epic if people want to find out more details yeah. um just because they're nosy or if they're a farmer or if they <laughs> want to buy a credit uh where's the best place for people to go to yeah, just uh, find out more yeah on our website um yeah, gen, it's, you can Google Gentle Farming. It normally comes up, but it's gentle-farming.co.uk. Perfect. Um, and yeah, there's a contact, and yeah, I'll be happy to chat to anybody, really. Amazing. <laughs> Are you on any of the social media channels yourself? Yeah, yeah, or? we're on um, Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, yeah, Thomas Gent on LinkedIn, and then, yeah, Twitter and Instagram is just Gentle Farming. Um, yeah. Amazing. All right. Well, I'll, I'll put up links to all of your various channels on this as well. But uh, yeah, I sort of feel like on behalf of humanity, you know, <laughs> thanks. Because like, if you pull this off, it's going to be awesome, isn't it? It's like, I just feel it's such a big, such a big opportunity. And it yeah. just feels like it should happen. It feels like a no-brainer. It's, you know, it's British-based. It's, like I say, it's linked to what we eat. It's linked to farming. There's just so much good shit about what you're trying to pull off. So wish you the very best of luck. And uh, yeah, thanks for sparing the time to have this conversation. Yeah, and thanks even dig for coming. Hole. Yeah, thanks for coming. I'll dig a hole any time. Awesome. <laughs> All right, thank you. Wow, I hope you found that as interesting as I did. I'm sorry it's a pretty long conversation, but as always, I found this utterly fascinating and such an important topic for our combined futures on planet Earth. The fact that simply changing how we farm could have such a huge impact on carbon capture is both staggering and inspiring. I really believe as a species we can learn to eat and to drink and to be merry and to enjoy our short and shared time on the planet, but to learn how to do it with a light touch, leaving the world in a better place for future generations. It is a privilege to get to explore these topics and I'm so grateful that you choose to listen and come along and learn with me. Now I may well take a little break on the podcast now as it's peak season in my own restaurant business on the south coast. Time is a little short, uh, releases may be paused or at the least they might become a little more sporadic but I hope to get back into a regular rhythm after the crazy summer period. So if you'd like me to keep recording shows please do let me know and let me know topics you find interesting. Would you like more restaurateurs or more hoteliers, more cool brands, more chefs? Do you think I go too far off on the sustainable and environmental issues? Let me know what you think and that will guide future shows. You can get in touch with me via the contact box on the website or write to mark at humansofhospitality.co.uk or visit the very same website to support the show by hitting the PayPal or the Patreon button or perhaps you'd like to sponsor a show or two for now thanks again to thomas for taking part thank you so much for listening and i'm sure i'll be back again soon all the best